Are we there, media? The Word of God says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as pray for as we ought. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Key line, for we do not know, not how, but know what we should pray for as we ought. And so there is a knowing that we ought to have heard on the things we need to pray for, but we don't know them because of the consequences of the fall of man. And so we have the Spirit of God that comes and now reveals to us the things we ought to pray for. Amen? The things we ought to pray for. Take note of that and let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. You will find the story of two beautiful ladies married to a man known as Elkanah. And we all know the story concerning these two. So the, big, the scriptures say, Now there was a certain man of Ramadhan, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tobu, the son of Zah, and an Ephraimite. There was a certain man, his name was Elkanah. When God wants to move, he will look for a man. When God wants to do something, he will search for a man who aligns to the agenda of the kingdom of God. This was a time of spiritual law, where spirituality was the list of the things the children of Israel were concerned with. The priests, the priest himself, Eli, his sons, Hophni, and uh, what's the name of the other one? Hophni and Phineas, were already known, they already had a reputation of sinning and enforcing their desires on the children of Israel, even though they were priests. And their father did not restrain them. It was a moment of, a low moment spiritually, in that even when Anna was praying, as we will see later on, that Eli thought that Anna was drunk, and tells her, put away wine. It reveals to you that it was, it had become a custom that women and men would enter the house of God drunk and do whatever they wanted. It was a moment of spiritual depravity in the nation of Israel. But there was a man, an Ephraimite, called Elkanah. Now the word of God says that he had two wives. The name of one was Anna, and the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Anna had no children. The word goes on to say that this man went up from the city yearly to worship 
and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons, we just mentioned them, of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But Hannah would give, he would give a double portion for the law, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Now verse 6 is a very interesting verse. But, verse 6, and her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. Now, we know polygamy was practiced in these early days, but polygamy was a sin. Amen? Now, God in his providence allowed polygamy, and the Bible says these sins, he overlooked them. Nowhere in the scripture does the word of God shine a glowing light in families out of polygamy. Everywhere where there is polygamy, there was always strife, there was always contention, there was always issues. Amen. Now, I think with the new constitution in Kenya, they allowed polygamy. And some greedy men are now abandoning their wives, going to Kenya to marry because it's legal. It's not legal. In this kingdom we represent, there are rules. Amen. There are rules. In this kingdom we represent, there are laws. Now, if you are a visitor, you do not come to impose your desires and your wants on the kingdom. Amen. Many of us, we left Kenya, we came here. We do not come here and tell the U.S. government to now do things according to our desires and our wants. No. When we come here, we abide by the rules and the laws of this land. Amen? And so, in the kingdom of God, even though God overlooked the sin of um, polygamy, the Bible is very clear and reveals through these stories that it was not a beautiful thing. We know of Rachel and Leah. Is that the sister? The wives of Jacob? And there was rivalry between those two. Now we see Hannah and Penina, and the scripture says, and her rival also provoked her, her rival. I'm not talking about polygamy, that was just a by the way. <laughs> Amen? So if you're there thinking of getting another wife, stop it. Stop it. I know, I know. <laughs> it's not going to be fun. There is no way two wives can coexist, even though they try to make it look like so, and have harmony in that household. Because you are taking that which is divine, and you are putting in your own ideas. They will always be rivalry. Driven by envy. Penina provoked her to make her miserable. She knew why. Because the Lord had closed her womb. And so she had a reason to say, hey, God doesn't care much about you. Look at what he did. He closed your womb. You are not supposed to be here. Leave my husband alone. Rachel and Leah, when you read their story, you will laugh a whole lot. When you, 
just pay attention to their relationship, you will be left to wonder, how can these two live together? They are competing to get children. To them, it was a competition driven by envy. To God, he allowed that for his divine purposes. Amen. And so sometimes when you find yourself in a situation, seek to press in to know what's the agenda of heaven concerning this. In the case of Rachel, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 30 that the Lord closed her womb. Genesis 30, if you can go with me there briefly. Verse 1. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Now this is Rachel driven by envy, telling Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob out of his anger, yes, Rachel, am I in the place of God? Amen. Now, back to Anna. Elkanah asked Anna this question, am I not better than ten sons? The rivalry that existed between these wives was at a level beyond comprehension. But there was a divine purpose behind this. Now, the scripture we read earlier, we do not know what we ought to pray for. Rachel crying out to God, wanting children, but God closed her womb. Later on, I think in verse 22 of Genesis 30, the Bible says, And the Lord remembered Rachel, and Rachel conceived and gave birth to a son called Joseph. All this was according to the divine purpose of the kingdom of heaven. For the benefit of media, you can call this uh, divine delay. Not every delay is from the devil. Many times I hear people preach against delay. Not all delays is from the devil. There are those which the enemy causes a delay. There are those delays that are caused by ourselves, as was the case with Moses. But there is also a delay that God imposes on us on what we are praying for so that it can align with his divine purposes. Amen? I don't know what you're trusting God for. You have been praying year after year, but there is no breakthrough. You have been crying, and there is no breakthrough. That is an indication that maybe we need to go back to Romans 8.26 and ask the Spirit to reveal to us what we need to pray for because we are probably praying for the wrong things. And so... The domestic atmosphere, the domestic relationship at home is causing Hannah not to worship God. The rivalry, the strife, the infighting in the house is causing Hannah not to worship God as he ought to because he looks at his co-wife her rival, her co-wife. Amen. She looks at her and she sees that she is blessed with children, one after another, one after another, and her womb is closed. And she's crying out to God. 
obviously asking God, God, open my wombs, give me a child. But I want us to look at that prayer. I want us to look at, at it and, and, and ask God to open our eyes of understanding and see what the Lord is trying to show us this afternoon. Now, why was Hannah praying? Well, it's a question. Why was Anna praying? What was driving Anna to pray? The word of God says that those who are children of God, they walk by the Spirit so that they do not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Those who are children of God are led by the Spirit. They see in the Spirit and they are led by the Spirit. But Anna is crying out to God from a place of sorrow, from a place of pain, from agony, because she is walking by sight. She sees her rival being blessed with one child after another, and she is filled with envy and bitterness is taking root. She hasn't asked God what she ought to pray for. She is crying out to God because her rival is tormenting her. She was a woman of sorrow. The good thing is that she was crying out to God and not to men, even though she had a husband and the husband knew her condition. To a point where the husband is defending himself and asking, am I not better than ten sons? Anna is walking by sight, seeing that her co-wife is being blessed, getting children, but she is not getting a child. Rachel, on the other hand, confronting Jacob, even asking Jacob, give me children. Because she cannot stand watching her rival getting children, and she is not. And there are times our prayers are driven from a place of envy. There are times our prayers are driven from the place of need. Because we have not received the desires of our hearts. You are asking God to open a door for you. Simply because others are making it through and you haven't made it through. Or maybe because you also want to be seen as one who walks in the favor of God. I was speaking to the second service about covetousness, learning to walk in a contented manner, to be content in all things. Covetousness is a vice that is hidden deep into the hearts of men. Covetousness is always driven by envy. Because covetousness always puts you in a condition or a situation where you always want. I want, I want, I want. And it's so subtly hidden that you don't see it. You try to search yourself, you cannot see it. And unless God searches your heart and reveals this to you, you will remain blind to it. After all, Jeremiah was not wrong to say that the heart is desperately wicked, exceedingly wicked, or just on that, let me not paraphrase it. Desperately deceptive and exceedingly wicked, or the other way around. And who shall understand it? Who, including yourself, 
who shall understand it? Why are you praying for the things you're praying for? Why do you want God to open doors for you? Why do you want God to bless you with whatever you're asking for? Is it for sure? Is it because somebody else got it? Are you mature enough to handle that which you're praying for? And so God looks at all this and he gives the answer of wait. It's a good thing, but wait. This thing you're praying for, is it aligning to the agenda of the kingdom of heaven? Or are you asking for it so that you can satisfy your own desires? In the book of James, chapter 4, the word of God says that you ask and you do not receive. Walls, where do walls and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. And so unless you understand the agenda of the kingdom of heaven, unless you understand what the spirit of God is telling you what to pray for, then you can spend a whole Kesha praying zero. You can spend a whole lifetime praying but not receiving the answers to your prayers. I don't know how long Anna was married, but from the time she was married to the time the Lord remembered her, that sounded like an entire lifetime of crying out to God, but crying out from a place of envy. Anna wanted a son. God had a different plan. Abraham wanted a son who would inherit from him, but God had a different plan. Many times we are asking God to bless us, and it is a good thing, but that blessing must align with the, God, the, the agenda of God concerning men. Not concerning you, concerning men. And so Abraham is praying for a child. Abraham thinks that he just wants a child who will carry on his genes and inherit his property. But God is looking for a father. God is looking for a seed to a nation. Amen? Rachel is praying for a child. But until she understands the agenda of God, she's just praying for a child, a son. So Rachel wants a son, but God is looking for a man who will lead the children of Israel to captivity according to his divine purposes. In the case of Anna, Anna wants a son driven by envy, but God is looking for a prophet. Praise God. And until Anna matures spiritually to see what God is looking for, her womb will not have been opened because God is not in a hurry. And so the word of God goes on to say, well, I'm jumping from scripture to scripture. You forgive me. Back to 1 Samuel. So let us see how Anna matures to a point now where God says, now you are ready for a son. And so the word of God says, verse 7, So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her, and therefore she wept and did not eat. 
that was a lifetime, year after year, crying out, being provoked, seeing that, hey, Penina, that's a second child coming out, that's a third child, that's a fourth son, fifth son, and I don't even have one. And she is filled, of, filled with sorrow, bitterness and envy is growing in her. But the good thing is she's crying out to God. That at least is a good start. The worst of it is when you cry out to men. And so she's crying out to God, but she's being motivated by pain. She's being motivated by envy. And any prayer that is motivated by pain, yes, sometimes God in his grace answers those. But how I pray that we eventually mature to know what to pray for. That our prayers are no longer motivated by pain, but by promise. Praise the name of the Lord. And so year after year, they go to worship, but Anna is not in a position to worship. Bitterness, envy, anger, Provocation from, his, from her rival, causing her not to worship God for who he is. Amen? And then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better than ten sons? We've talked about that. And when she hears that, she arose after they had done eating and drinking and went to the house of the Lord, then pouring out her heart to God. And it took Eli to open her eyes on what she ought to pray for. On what she ought to pray for. And so, verse 9, so Anna rose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat at the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she saw, and she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed to the Lord, and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look at the affliction of your maidservants and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Now her eyes were opened. Amen. Now her eyes were opened. Initially, she was just praying for her son, praying from a place of pain, asking God, why are you blessing her and not me? Driven by the sin of covetousness. Bitterness, sorrow, managing her prayer life. But when she realized what God is looking for, she alters her prayer. And she says, this son, I will give him to you for the glory of God. Amen? She even changed her demeanor. She was not eating before. The rest would eat, but she would not. But after she realized what God is looking for, the word of God says, and it happened as she continued praying before the Lord. Of course, God used Eli to open her eyes. And Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Anna answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink but I've poured my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered, 
and said, Go in peace. The Lord God grant your petition, which you have asked for. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way, ate, and her face was no longer sad. After she understood what the agenda of the kingdom of heaven is, she went, washed herself up, took off the sad demeanor, ate, and now she was a happy woman. She was now ready to worship God, irrespective of the provocations of the wife, the co-wife. The co-wife did not stop provoking her. But now those provocations were not determining how she will worship God. Those provocations, the sorrow and the pain was no longer determining how she will pray. She was now happy henceforth. She, will now, she was now in a position where she can worship God. Her worship was not determined by her situation and her circumstances. Amen. You know those times you're having a headache and you're saying, today I will skip church? Because your worship is determined by how you feel? Amen? You know those days you say, today I think I will sleep. I will not wake up and pray because I am so tired. Or today you say, I don't have the strength to pray because my husband has really annoyed me. And you have caused me not to worship God as I want. May your worship be free from external or internal influence. Say amen. May your worship be free from external or internal influence. I will worship the Lord regardless of my situation, regardless of my condition, regardless of whether I have what I want or I don't. Paul says, I have learned to be content whether I have it or whether I don't. Whether I'm abased or abound, I have learned to be content. I have learned that my worship will not be influenced by how I feel. My worship will not be influenced by how people treat me. Amen. My worship will not be influenced by whether my prayers have been answered or not. And he goes on to say, for my strength is made perfect in my weakness. Jesus Christ is your strength. All sufficiency is from God, not from the blessings, not from the child you're praying for, not from the job you're trusting God for, not for the business deals that you're asking God to open for you. What you ought to pray for. Anna was interested in getting a child. God was looking for a prophet to replace Eli. Amen. Anna was interested in a blessing. God was interested in her character. Your character reveals the nature of God. Your blessings don't. Amen. This is 2021. In 2015, this church took a turn from a local church to an apostolic church. A local church cares about itself. A local church cares about its programs. A local church cares about membership and containment. In a local church, when you don't show up in church, the pastor will call you and ask you, where were you on Sunday? But an apostolic church is given to the body of Christ. And so the prayers of a local church are not the prayers of an apostolic church. An apostolic church prays according to the agenda of the kingdom of heaven. A local church prays prayers that relate to its geographical location 
and its composition. But once you understand the kingdom agenda, then you ask God to stretch you, to mature you, and to reveal to you what his heart is for, so that you can pray according to his heart. You are praying for your children to be well disciplined. God has different things. The word of God says, for my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Just as heaven is far high over the earth. There is no way, I'm sure you've heard apostles say this, that your thoughts and the thoughts of God will accidentally or coincidentally cross paths. You are praying for a job. God has a different agenda. You are praying for papers. God has a different agenda. You are praying for a house. God is thinking about a nation. And so truly, truly, we don't know what we ought to pray for unless the Spirit of God reveals to us what we ought to pray for. Amen. You're praying for your wife. It's good. You want to have a good wife, Bryson? They are getting married pretty soon. Will you, can we appreciate them? In a few months, in a few months, this is July. Wow, less than a year. Amen. <laughs> in less than a year, they are getting married. You're praying for your husband. You want to have a good husband. You want to have a husband who is humble, caring, and all that. It is good. What does God want? You, you see a husband, God is seen a mighty man. God is seen an, a warrior. God is seen a father of nations. You're praying for your children. God is seen a whole different generation. Maybe uh, the bonke of 2025-2030. But you, you're just praying, God, keep my child safe. Truly, truly. We don't know what we ought to pray for. Unless God reveals to you his kingdom agenda, your prayers will always be limited. And many times God will wait until you mature spiritually to handle and to manage the blessings that you're asking for. Amen. And part of that management is learning to let go. Learning to, uh, learning to do what? To let go for the glory and the kingdom, for the glory and honor of God. When Abraham understood that Isaac is a seed of God, then Abraham did not have a problem obeying God to sacrifice his son. When Abraham's eyes were opened to understand that God was not just interested in a son who will inherit from him, but a father of nations, a seed, a whole nation, then Abraham knew and understood, and he could not even dare hold on or argue with God or question God when he received the command to go and sacrifice his own son. When Rachel understood the agenda of the kingdom of heaven, he, she had no problem giving the child away. Many times when we receive the blessings, we want to hold it. We don't want to let go. We want to raise a wall around them, put them in a bubble. We don't want to send them to school because there is corona. Amen. We really don't. Unless the Spirit of God reveals to you what you ought to pray for, 
Many times, God, yes, he will hear your prayers. And yes, he is a gracious God. Yes, he will make it a little bit easier for you. But until your prayers transform and begin reflecting the agenda of the kingdom of heaven, many times you'll find yourself here night after night praying over the same thing. God did not have a problem giving Hannah a child. But while Anna was just interested in a child, God was looking for a prophet. Praise God. In all that you're trusting God for, have you asked him what his agenda is? Or are your prayers driven from envy or covetousness? Because the likes of Penina will still be there. They will provoke you. And they will not stop. The likes of uh, Leah. In fact, interestingly, the word of God says, when God saw that Leah was less loved, God opened her womb and closed the womb of Rachel. That makes it even worse. And so sometimes God allows people in your life to provoke you and to give you headache in the hope that you will mature spiritually, that these external influence will not wash, affect or influence your worship to him. Amen. What are you trusting God for? Whom is God using to mature you? God does not always use a pastor to mature you spiritually. God will put a thorn on your flesh. And that thorn is not a friend, a distant friend. That thorn can easily be your spouse to keep poking you, poking you, poking you. You whine, you complain, you mama, you whine. You complain, you mama. But the minute you ask God, show me what you're doing through my spouse, then he shows you what you ought to pray for. You have matured and you begin blessing your spouse. And he's left wondering, huh? I give you trouble and you're smiling and will you smile to your spouse? uh, Donald in absentia, where's your wife? (laughs) <laughs> you left her behind there? For the word of God says, what the enemy meant for evil, God uses it for what? For good. To those who do what? Love him. Not for everybody. For good to those who love him. Those who have understood the love of God. Those who have known that the love of God is that men will receive salvation. And I will conclude by quoting what Joseph says in Genesis 50.20. Genesis 50.20. Joseph tells his brothers, But as for you, you meant evil against me. As for you, you meant to provoke me. As for you, you meant to make my life unbearable. As for you, You meant to give me a hell of a life here on earth. You meant to make my marriage difficult. You meant to destroy my children. But God, everybody say, but God. But God meant it for good. You are only able to say that when you have matured spiritually. That when you're praying, you are no longer praying because you have been provoked 
by pain, by fear, by anger, by worry, but you're praying according to the agenda of the kingdom of heaven. We do not know what we ought to pray for unless the Spirit of God reveals it to us. For those who are sons of God, and you are a son of God, you are a daughter of God, may the Spirit of God reveal to you what you ought to pray for. For once you have known what you ought to pray for, you will not engage anymore in a lifestyle of complaining and whining, but rather you will now assume the position and the mindset and the lifestyle that Joseph teaches, where now you rejoice always. Praying without ceasing because now your prayers are apostolic by nature. Your prayers are according to the agenda of the kingdom of heaven. Giving thanks always. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. First Thessalonians 5, I think 16 to 20, somewhere there. If you could put, it that, put that up, that would be helpful. Spiritual maturity is not a gift. And like the Holy Spirit that is poured on you, spiritual maturity is not poured on you. Spiritual maturity is worked in you. Second to obedience, because you will also learn obedience. You also learn content, contentment, which is a sign of spiritual maturity. It is worked in you. And so, having understood this, Paul says, therefore work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do. Amen? And once you know what you ought to pray for, you will take off the sad demeanor, you will put on a joyful heart, you will go eat and drink and rejoice in the Lord because now your worship lifestyle is not influenced by the pain either caused by whoever is close to you or caused by the thorn in your flesh or caused by any other thing. You are rejoicing always because the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength because God is interested in nations, not just giving you what you're asking for. Praise God. Amen. You have received it. You are blessed. Are you going to ask God to show you what to pray for? One of the signs of spiritual maturity is when where you normally complain, you don't. You joyfully do what you've been asked to do. So I had a group of children in my house, and many of them were saying one thing they complain about in their homes is when they're asked to do dishes. And so once you understand the agenda of God, you will do those dishes so joyfully. When your wife wakes you up at midnight to go get a glass of water for her, you will not be saying, I'm tired. You will wake up joyfully and go to the kitchen and get that glass of water for her. Amen. I'm seeing a couple of wives laughing. Does he do that? Oh, he's like, anime choka. Huh? When your husband asks you to do something, you will joyfully do it because you understand the agenda of the kingdom of heaven. The hallmark of spiritual maturity is when there is zero complaint in your lifestyle. Amen? Zero complaint. You do everything. Colossians 3.23 in whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord and not human masters. Amen. Father, receive glory, honor, and adoration.
Thank you for the word you've spoken unto us this afternoon. I now ask that you open our eyes and you may reveal to us the things we ought to pray for. Like Hannah, who was asking for a child, in God you revealed to her that you are looking for a prophet. Like Abraham, who wanted a child to inherit his possessions and to carry on his genes. But God, you are looking for a seed for a nation. We have been taught in the past, in this recent past, through your servant, Apostle Jacob. And you told us that when you see us, you see nations. Therefore, Father, open our eyes. Let us see nations, not just in ourselves, but also in people around us. That then our prayers will be directed according to the agenda of heaven. May your grace be sufficient for all of us to embrace your goodness, your kindness, your masses, and to walk in the grace for which you have apportioned to us. Not to waste it, but rather to utilize it faithfully to the glory of your name. Thank you for each and every person in this house. I ask that you may enlarge them, you may open their eyes, and you may redirect their prayers to the glory of your name. We pray.